Welcome to week number four uh, in our series called Thrones. Uh, we're studying through the book of Judges. It's going to take us uh, pretty much through uh, all the way up to Labor Day. And uh, I just want to say just so glad the Williamson family to be back uh, off vacation. It's good to get a break and all that, but uh, it is so good to be home. And how about a big hand for Pastor Stephen? Didn't he hold it down while we were gone? I mean, just did a great job. Awesome. And uh, I'm just going to say, please pray for me. I'm feeling a little nervous, like he set the bar so high. If you're a first-time guest, maybe you came, uh, you, you know, uh, while I was out. Uh, I hope I don't disappoint you, really. Uh, be gracious, be kind. Uh, but all, this is not only, not only is Pastor Stephen do a great job the last two weeks, but also we're coming off of Kids Blast, uh, which was Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Incredible in the life of our church for all the kids that were here. And uh, Pastor Karen Johnson and her team just did a phenomenal job, and the staff uh, that was here as well. And, and so this has just been a really, really big, uh, I'd say 10 days or, or almost two whole weeks uh, here in the life of our church. But we're continuing this series called Thrones, and we're asking ourselves the question, who Who's on the throne of your heart as we work through uh, the book of Judges here? And uh, during our time together, we're going to be in Judges chapter 6 today. Uh, and uh, uh, Judges chapter 6 primarily talks about two characters. One is the angel of the Lord. We'll get to that in just a minute, who that is. Uh, but then we inter we're introduced to this new character named Gideon. And uh, actually, part two of this story is going to be next week and when we get into Judges chapter 7. But Gideon is what I would definitely describe as a weak warrior. Uh, and he has all kinds of fears, all kinds of uh, doubts. And in fact, he reminds me a lot of myself and probably you too. Uh, because we all wrestle with these things, don't we, from time to time. In fact, I was doing a little bit of study at, uh, about some of the fears that people have, and we know there's some common fears uh, across the board that, that people have, like the fear of spiders or the fear of snakes or death or public speaking. Or, uh, that's not one of mine at all, or the fear of heights. But listen to some of these. Maybe you didn't know these. These are clinically diagnosed fears. Octophobia, the fear of the number eight. Octophobia. I don't know what you do when you see the number eight, but it's actually clinically diagnosed. Or how about this? I think I might actually have this one. It's called olfto I can't even say it. I wrote these down. It's so hard to say. Olfactophobia. The fear of foul smells. I have a real keen sense of smell, and, and so uh, I'm always like, concerned I'm going to smell something that, that smells really bad. Or how about this? Dorophobia. Dorophobia, the fear of animal fur. Having three daughters, you know, when they uh, were growing up, I thought that was the fear of a cartoon about an explorer, Dorophobia. But anyway, that's not it. Uh, this one I definitely have. Maybe you do too. I'm not asking for a show of hands here at all. But Cholrophobia. Cholrophobia. The fear of clowns. I can't stand clowns. I, there's nothing funny about them. They're horrific. Scare me to death. I do not like clowns at all. How about this one? Tacophobia. Not taco like eating, but uh, it's more probably tocophobia, the fear of pregnant women. This is really bad if you're married to one. I don't know how that works if you have tocophobia and it's actually fear of pregnant women. I actually have this nightmare about uh, preaching and a woman giving birth right in the middle of it. So uh, I kind of get a little uptight there. Uh, and, and then this one, uh, let me see if I can even uh, say this one, uh, onophallophobia. Onophalophobia, which is the fear of belly buttons. 
And, and when, I, when I did a little research, it did not indicate specifically which was more terrifying, insies or outsies. But they're actually, <laughs> some have a fear of, of belly buttons. And, and then this one uh, is called archibutyrophobia. Archibutyrophobia, which is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Who makes this stuff up? Who, who does, if, if you have that, we actually have some sandwiches right outside the door for you uh, when, when we're done. And finally, this one, windbagophobia, fear of long sermons. No, I just made that one up totally. You can just uh, be at ease. One's not going to happen tonight or anything like that. But all kinds of fears that, that we have and, and that are known to humanity. And, and we need courage. We, we need courage, especially in the day that we live, when, when, when it, just one news-breaking alert after another. We need courage. In fact, I like what C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author, said. He said, courage is one of the least talked about Christian virtues, but it is essential to all the others. Courage. It's so important that we have courage. And that's what we're going to find as we begin to look at this, this judge uh, named Gideon. That he really lacked courage. And yet, God used him in an incredible way. If you're just joining us, you haven't been here before uh, in this series, whereas we're going through the book of Judges, when you hear the word judge, don't think about like a magistrate in, in uh, you know, uh, with, with a gavel and a robe. But a judge is like a hero, it's a deliverer. Uh, that's really what the idea is in the book of Judges. And as we look and we drop in here in Judges chapter 6, uh, picking up really where Pastor Stephen left off last week, what we're going to find is God had to really help Gideon deal with his fears. And there were four main fears that he had as God speaks to him and says, I want you to deliver my people. I want you to, I, I want you to be a hero. I'm going to use you to be a hero to deliver my people. And there's four fears that he has, or four doubts, if you will, and, and that plagued him, and there were obstacles to his faith. And you know what? These took the form of questions as we work our way through Judges chapter 6 and our time together. And I think they're probably real common questions that we have as well for God. Common fears that we have that, that keep us from really trusting him completely. And even as we've been asking ourselves the question uh, in this series, who's on the throne of your heart? Our fears oftentimes keep us from placing Jesus Christ on the throne of our heart. And we place other people, and we place other things on the throne of our hearts instead. And so here's the first question that we find that, that really Gideon asks in, in verses uh, 1 through 13 of Judges chapter 6. Do you really care? He asks God, do, do, do you really even care? Do you care about what's going on around us? Let's drop in in Judges chapter 6, verse, uh, beginning in verse 6. It says, Midian, this is an enemy of Israel. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And when the Israelites cried out for the Lord because of Midian, he sent a prophet. Wait, what? Midian was literally, if you can think about this, is an agricultural society and culture. And, and Israel would plant uh, uh, crops, and every time it was harvest time, here would come the Midianites and completely take their harvest for years and leave them with nothing. And that's what's going on over and over and over again. And, and so Israel, and this is that cycle that we looked at in week number one, 
where, where they would begin to worship other gods instead of the one true God. And God would allow really difficulty to come into their lives as a result of, uh, of their divided heart. And then uh, he would raise up a deliverer, a hero, a judge. And, and so here it says, Midian was so uh, impoverished, the Israelites, that they cried out to the Lord for help. Notice it doesn't say they turned to the Lord. They just cried out, help. Get us out of here. We need a savior. And instead of a savior, he sent them a prophet. Now, this, the, the name of this prophet is not recorded in the Bible. We don't know who this is. But they were looking for a savior, and God sent them a sermon. They're looking for someone to throw, a, you know, overthrow the Midianites, and God said, here's a preacher. Listen to what he's saying. I, I, I tend to think that probably... Uh, the nation of Israel at the time said, that's not what we asked you to do, God. You didn't follow our orders. I know none of us have ever thought things like that before, have we? God, this is what I want you to do. And instead of saving us, he gives us a sermon. And I wonder how many sermons have gone in one ear and out the other when it was exactly what we needed, but it wasn't what we wanted. That's exactly what happened to Israel. They were looking for a savior, and he sent a prophet. And listen to what the prophet said, speaking on God's behalf in verse 10 of Judges chapter 6. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. They're looking for a savior. They're being overwhelmed by the Midianites. They're just totally being devastated. And they're like, we need a hero. We need a savior. And he sends them a prophet with a sermon. And the bottom line of the sermon was this. You just haven't listened to me. You haven't listened to me at all. See, the Israelites had a problem. And I think there's so much that you and I can learn from this. That their sorrow was just skin deep. They said, God, we're sorry. But they didn't change. God, we're sorry, change our circumstances. And God was saying, I want to change you. Which is easier, for God to change our circumstances or to change our heart? I think it's a lot easier for God to change our circumstances and our hearts stay exactly the same way that it's always been. And that's part of this cycle that we see over and over and over again in the book of Judges. Their sorrow was only skin deep, and it was not heartfelt. It's interesting, in 2 Corinthians, it talks about two different kinds of sorrow and what they produce. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, puts it this way, Godly sorrow, that's the first kind, brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. In other words, when someone really has sorrow, when they're really sorry for their sin, what happens is they repent, they turn away from it, and they don't continue on it in it any longer. And you know what the Bible says? No one ever regrets. Like, man, I, I am so sorry I stopped doing that. Godly sorrow is always like, I wish I'd even quit sooner. I wish I'd stopped sooner. That, that's the old me. That's not who I am any longer. Godly sorrow brings repentance. That means a complete turnaround in the opposite direction, 180 degrees, that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Watch this now. But worldly sorrow 
brings death. What is that talking about? It means, God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I did this. And then you walk right back into it. God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I did this. And you walk right back into it. And it gets deeper and deeper. And that sin gets a stranglehold on your life. And ultimately, if it's never turned away from, it ends up in your demise. And so the Bible makes it clear. There's godly sorrow that leads to the fruit of repentance, change in a person's life. I'm not talking about stumbling a time or two after that. I'm talking about worldly sorrow is you just over and over and over and over and over again. And it leads to your demise, to my demise. See, here's the thing. So many times when we experience hardships in our lives, we ask ourselves, God, are you trying to tell me something? Are you trying to get my attention? He hasn't caused hardship in your life and in my life to pay us back. But he does allow hardship in your life and my life to bring us back. Not to pay us back, but to bring us back to him. And that's part of this cycle that we can learn from in the book of Judges. That when they turn away from God, God says, I don't want this for you, but you're choosing this. And when you turn away from me, it brings hardship in your life. And I allow those not to pay you back, not to punish you but to bring you back so you'll look back and you'll turn back to me. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow, worldly sorrow brings death. And see, when we really turn from, from those things that God doesn't want us to do, doesn't want us to be involved in, doesn't want to be a part of our lives, those ugliness, that, that, that sin, the, the exceedingly sinfulness of sin, then we can say with the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 67, I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. The psalmist said, I used to go astray. I used to get off the path until you allowed some stuff to come into my life. Not, not to get me back, but to get me back on track. Not to pay me back, but to get me back on track. I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. You know what, by the way, parents, as you're raising young, young kids, you know what discipline does? It keeps your kids on the right track. It keeps them on the right track. Just like it does when God disciplines us as well. The failure to discipline is just going to be worse next time with your kids, and worse and worse and worse. And so back to Judges chapter 6, as Gideon is really, in essence, the story's unfolding before us. And he's asking the question, do you really care? In Judges chapter 6, verse 11, it says, And the angel of the Lord, and we'll get back to this in a minute, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. By the way, that's, you know, she wasn't the first one to ever have the name. That's actually the Hebrew spelling of it. Oprah belonged to Joash, the Abzerite, where the son of Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now picture this. Here's this guy Gideon. We're going to learn a little bit more about him in just a second. And he's threshing wheat in a wine press. What's so interesting about that? Let me explain this just a minute. The way that you thresh wheat in old times, it's like a pitchfork, and the wheat would be harvested and all laying on the ground, and you throw it up in the air, and the chaff, the bad part of the wheat that has no use at all, the wind would blow it away. 
and what would fall to the ground was the good wheat. That's how you separated the chaff from the wheat. Now get the picture. Gideon is down in a hole in a wine press where there's no wind. And he's sifting that wheat. He's a coward. He's afraid for his life that the Midianites are going to find. And he's trying to do this, and there's no wind blowing anywhere. And that's where we find this great champion of God, scared to death, threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And yet God appears to him. And that's who this, this angel of the Lord, what we're going to find is. Most of the time in the Old Testament, when you hear this phrase, the angel of the Lord, it's actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. It is what in theology we call this a Christophany. The Bible makes it very clear in John 1. He was in the beginning. He was. Jesus didn't just appear when he was born of the virgin. He was with God. He was God from the beginning. And so this angel of the Lord said, well, why are you saying that? Because in a minute, Gideon, he's going to reveal who he is to Gideon, and Gideon is going to say, I saw the Lord face to face. If he said that of an angel, that's blasphemy. The angel of the Lord is a pre-existent Christ. He was with God in the beginning. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down, and he begins to speak to Gideon. And, and here's the beautiful thing I love about this story with Gideon is that he speaks to him not as to where he is at the moment in the wine press as a coward, but the angel of the Lord speaks to him with the potential that God created him, the potential he created in him, and he speaks to him as if that potential has already been fulfilled. Isn't that good news? We don't get ourselves into shape, and then God comes to us. He comes to us when we're right in the middle of our mess, scared, worried and what happens it says when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon he said the Lord is with you mighty warrior in the wine press scared to death and he calls him mighty warrior cowering fearful full of anxiety the Lord is with you mighty warrior see here's the thing God doesn't call the brave, he makes brave those he calls. God doesn't call the brave, he makes brave those he calls. And listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've received Christ as your Savior, he's called you. He's called you. And what he wants to do in your life and what he wants to do in my life, he wants to make you and he wants to make me brave to fulfill the purpose that he created us for. You may be afraid today. You, you, you may be full of anxiety as you, you see the current events unfolding uh, in our world today. But God wants to make you brave. And God wants to make me brave. God doesn't call the brave. He makes brave those he calls. You see, when God calls us, he doesn't see us or define us by the condition that he finds us in. But what he does is he speaks to us when he sees our fulfilled potential and all that we can be through Jesus Christ. And listen to Gideon's response in Judges chapter 6, verse 13. Uh, pardon me, my Lord, which also, by the way, you'd never say that to an angel. Blasphemy, calling an angel Lord. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has this happened to us? 
do you really even care? If God is really with me, if God really loves me, why, why would this be happening in my life? Does God even really care? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, and he goes on and says, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. How about that for a man of faith? He says, does God even care? Does God even care? Look, look at what's been happening for years and years and years. Our, our whole entire nation is just being devastated by the Midianites. There's, there's no way that God could possibly care. But then there's an answer that comes. And it comes really in response to Gideon's next question. Do you even have a plan? Does God have a plan? I, I mean, God, do, do you have some purpose in all this? Are, are you really in control of what's happening? The angel of the Lord responds in verse 14 of Judges 6 and says, The Lord turned to him. See, there it is. It doesn't even say the angel anymore. God. The Lord turned to him. And said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hands. I am I not sending you. He says, go in the strength that you have. Don't try to muster up something else that you don't have. He says, get in that little, little bit of strength that you have. That little bit of faith that you have. You go in that strength. And understand this. I'm with you. And I do have a plan. And I do have a purpose. And if you're willing to let me work through your life, you'll see what my plan is, what my purpose is. And he goes on and says, am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. <laughs> Gideon still kind of a little pushback. Uh, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. That's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And I am the least in my family. He's like, you don't understand. Like, I'm just like nothing. I'm absolutely nothing. And almost it's like Gideon like, says to the angel, are you talking to me? And then he goes on and he says, the Lord answer, I will be with you. I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites and leave none alive. He says, I will be with you. In response to the question, do you really even care? Do you have a plan? And God says, I'll be with you. Let me put it this way. For you and me, we are the activity of God in our generation. I like how Pastor Matt Chandler, uh, pastor of a great church in Dallas, Texas, put it. You are God's plan for wherever you are. You are God's plan for wherever you are. Wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you play, wherever you hang out, you're God's plan for that place. You're God's plan for those people. You're God's plan right where you are. You're not there by accident. And that's why so many times I think it's important to point out when we gather together like this as a church family, this is the locker room. And, and on my best days, I'm given a God-inspired from God's words locker room speech. And then what are we to do? We're to go out and take the field of life realizing we are God's plan for this generation. That, that just like Gideon didn't have it, he wasn't God's mighty man of faith and power for the hour. But what we find is he was just willing. And what we're going to find also, not only tonight, but also next week, he was incredibly flawed. 
but he was willing for God to work through his life. And God used him to deliver the entire nation of Israel. You are God's plan, wherever you are. You're God's answer. And he wants to work through your life and work through my life as well. Look at verse 23. It says, but the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. And, and I just kind of, I, I don't know, when, when the angel of the Lord says this to Gideon, peace, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. I, I don't know. I just have kind of this daft sense of humor. That, that I just kind of picture like this Monty Python, you know, kind of uh, uh, skit going on here. And Gideon's like, okay, I'm not going to die, but uh, uh, I am going to get a flesh wound. Is it going to be a flesh wound? You know, I'm not going to die, but am I going to get all mangled up and my heart's still beating and maybe my brain is dead? And I think so many times we're like that too. It's like God's like, it's going to be okay. Like, do you mean it's going to be okay? Like, I'm not going to get a scratch? Or do you mean like, it's going to hurt a lot? So the angel says, peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to die. And then he goes on and says, so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. Isn't that beautiful? It's not the Lord gives peace. It's not one of God's gifts is peace. He is peace. When we have him, we have peace. When we know him, it brings peace. No matter what the current situation, no matter what the conflict, no matter what the struggle or the strain or the stress, we can have peace because we have him. The Lord is peace. Then there's a third question that Gideon asks. In verses 25 through 32, will you guard me? <laughs> will you take care of me? Will you protect me? Will you guard me? Listen to the first instruction that this angel of the Lord that God gives to Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse 25. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Well, what's he talking about here? He says, This is the first thing I want you to do, mighty warrior. Your family is full of idolaters. I want you to tear down the altar to those false gods that your father erected. Tear it down. That's the first thing that the angel tells him. The angel Lord, tear down your father's altar. And then in verse 27 it says, So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So he waited until everyone's asleep. He's like, shh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Shh. And he tears down the altar of his father. What's the deal? I mean, think about this. The nation of Israel is being just leveled by the Midianites. 
angel of the Lord, God himself, shows up and says, you're a mighty warrior, Gideon. You're going to deliver the people. And he's like, okay, if you say so, what's my first instruction? Go back home and tear down the altar that your father built to a false god. See, ministry always starts at home. We hear that saying, don't we? Family first. And you know what? There's nothing more true than that. Ministry, so if we can't minister to those that are closest to us, we can't minister to those that are far away from us. And even as I say that, I know some of our hearts are beating really, really fast, and you're saying, you're talking about my relatives? You're, you're talking about my kids? You're, you're, you're talking about mom and dad? Yes. Absolutely. Ministry starts at home first. Because there are so many things that have been handed down from generation to generation that God says, I won't share those things on the throne of your heart. And the first thing that God says to Gideon is, destroy the altar your father built. And he was afraid, and he did it at night, but he did it. See, we can't give the Lord exclusive right to sit on the throne of our hearts and our lives unless we first tear down the altars that we've built to false gods that we worship. And we have all kinds of them that have been handed down from us. And I think that's part of just kind of growing up and, and, and hopefully kind of taking a mature look. You know, every family is dysfunctional. I mean, for the Williamsons, we put the fun in dysfunction. We really did. And we have bad things that we can see, but there are also a lot of things that we have handed down from our families and from our parents that we think are good, and God says, that's not good at all. That's an idol. And if you're going to fulfill the call of God on your life, you got to tear that thing down. Maybe they're bad things, like fear, like alcoholism, like addiction, like control, like manipulation. Like anger, like rage, divorce, children outside of wedlock. And you see these things just going right down generations. And we say, I'm never going to be like mom and dad. And then we fall right back into the same thing. And we pass it right along to our children and our children's children and those after us again. And God is saying, you've got to tear down the altars of your father's. We can see some of those things. We say, I can see how harmful that is. I can see how destructive it is. But then there are things that we think are good. And they sometimes are more lethal than sometimes the things that we say, oh, no, that's terrible. Things like this. Spiritual pride. Worshiping intelligence and intellect of where I went to school and got my degree academic achievement sports prowess good looks not me but you know other people for me personally in my family and, and my wife and I have talked about this in both of our family trees for me growing up as a pastor's kid spiritual pride lethal absolutely lethal because my dad was a pastor so, man, I know, I, 
I know this book. I, I've, I can't even tell you how many times I've read this through cover to cover. Tests and papers. Even before I went to college, knew the book. Now I've got all these degrees and these letters after my name. Spiritual pride. Feel like a know-it-all. God says, I resist the proud. I give grace to the humble. I, I, I'm kind of ashamed to even admit. But I was well into my 30s. After achieving all kinds of academic success and, and everything, scholarship in, in terms of theology, when I stumbled upon the fact that God says, the Bible says that we have to humble ourselves. And if we don't humble ourselves, God is resisting us. So that's now a regular part of my prayer every day. God, humble me. Don't let me be faced today without you. Because I grew up in a, in a family like the Williamson's, man, we knew, we know the Bible. And because not only were my parents Christians, my grandparents were Christians. Not only my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and my great-great-grandparents, and my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents all served the Lord. You want to talk about pride. And God says, that stinks. I don't care. Tear down the altar. Tear down the altar. Because, Greg, you will never fulfill the call of God on your life with spiritual pride in your life. Tear down the altar of your father. What's your family altar? We told our kids as we drove here today, we said, we're going to have a real good family conversation after this message. I hope all of us do. All of us. What are the things in our family trees, generations coming down? We realize we think that's okay because that's just who we are. I mean, we just drink heavily. We're Irishmen. That's just who we are. We're just quick-tempered because we're this nationality. It's not okay. God says, tear down the altar. Tear down the altar. The first ministry begins at home. That's the first instruction that this angel gave to Gideon, the angel of the Lord, tear down the altar. See, here's the thing. Courage is not the absence of fear. Even when Gideon goes and he does this over the, in the cover of darkness, courage is not the absence of fear. It's following God in the midst of fear. And so I just want to encourage you. I challenge you. Pray about God. What are these family altars where we're trying to, we're trying to share spot on the throne of our heart? God says, I won't have anything. I won't have anyone. Not even your family tree. Not even who's on the throne. I must be first. Who's on the throne of your heart that we find? Gideon asking in verses 33 through 40, will you provide for me? For me, and it's kind of an awkward place where chapter 6 ends. Because it ends with Gideon testing God twice in a fleece. Maybe you've heard about this before. He says, God, if this is really you, I'm going to test you. And he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay out this, this skin, and, and at night, uh, and I'm going to wake up the next morning, and if this is really you, let all the ground around be soaking wet, but the fleece be dry. And you know what? God indulges him with his grace. And Gideon wakes up the next morning, and all the ground is wet, but the fleece is dry. The, this skin, this animal skin is dry. And Gideon's like, 
okay? Let me just try one more time because I'm not sure it's really you. And he reverses the whole thing. And he says, now, I'm going to lay this, this out, and, and now this is what I want. I want all the ground. If this is really you, God, I want all the ground to be dry, but let the fleece be wet, soaking wet. And you know what? For the second time, God's gracious with him. And he wakes up the next morning, and the ground is completely dry, and the fleece is soaking wet. And now Gideon knows who's talking to him. Now let me say this. He's saying about, will you, will you provide for me some sort of sign? Will you show me that you're going to keep your promise? Dry ground, wet fleece is the first one, then wet fleece, dry ground. Gideon's request for help uh, is really to build his faith, and, and, and God responds twice, but this is not an acceptable way of dealing with God. And, and, and let me just encourage you, don't do this to God. He doesn't like this. In fact, one of the temptations, if you'll remember, that, that Jesus was tempted by Satan with, and Jesus responded, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't do it. Why did God allow it? Because Gideon had a whole lot less available to him than you and I do. See, we don't need to ask God for a sign. Do you care about us? Are, are you with us? Are you going to guard us? Are you going are, are, are to provide for us? We don't have to ask for a sign. There's a greater fleece. That is the cross of Jesus Christ. There's never been a sign. His care of God's love and his care and his compassion that when he sent his son to live a perfect life and to die a brutal, horrific death in your place for your sins and for my sins. And then he rose from the dead three days later so, so we don't need to ask God for a sign if he's with us he's shown it God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners for us there's no need for a fleece the life the death the resurrection us, God's love and his care for us this is what Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 2 says to our end in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times and in various ways, including fleeces. Watch this now. It goes on and says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Who so he made of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The cross, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus with you. As once and for all, God says, I'm with you. I care about you. Follow my instructions. Follow my instructions. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. You don't have to cower in fear any longer. The cross is our fleece. And so let me ask you just a couple questions as we conclude. What troubles are you facing right now? Will you see them as problems that need to be removed from your life? Or as possible side of the one true that you worship them alongside of the one true God you from wholeheartedly placing you on the throne of your life. Has maybe even this one has God sent you when you wanted instead, instead, you were looking to be saved out of. And God sent you a sermon. And God's saying, just like Gideon, I know you're scared. 
but follow through. Follow through. Do what I'm instructing you to do because I'm with you and I love you and I'll guard you. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that as we journey our way through this book of Judges, this is not just a historical book, but your word is alive and it's active and it's, a, it's sharp. It's a two-edged sword. And, and Lord, it, it, it pierces us when we realize that there's so much more that you have for us. But Lord, we, you've insisted you're not going to share that throne on our hearts and so, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd speak to us even, even now and in the next few hours and, and days to come as we begin to just prayerfully ask you to show us those family things that we put ahead of Christ on, our on the throne of our hearts. And may we just like Gideon pull down whatever strongholds are there so that you and you alone will be first and foremost in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.